If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome. It is Verdict with Senator Ted Cruz. Weekend Review. Ben Ferguson with you. And these are the big stories that you may have missed that we talked about this past week. First up, Joe Biden is demanding that the barbed wire in Texas come down. The problem is many in the federal government aren't exactly listening to the president's demands. Will this be a serious standoff between the state of Texas and the federal government? And if Joe Biden tells him to push further, Will the federal government actually do it on his behalf? We'll explain the details and the legality of that in just a moment. Also, Joe Biden is now sanctioning Texas. That's right. For the first time in history, a U.S. president is attacking another state, trying to get them to bow to his demands over the issue of an open border. And now it's affecting liquefied natural gas exports, and it's enriching Russia and China. And finally, so many of you have asked, how can we help the people in Israel after the war that has broken out? We have a special live look in Israel from one of our guests. It is the Weekend Review, and it starts right now. The the word they used this week on TV was insurrection. And Griff Jenkins, Fox News, put out this tweet talking about what you were just mentioning. Take a look at this, guys, because this is a very interesting scenario here. Uh, it says a senior CBP official tells Fox the relationship between Border Patrol, Texas, DPS, and the TMD remains strong. Bottom line, Border Patrol has no plans to remove infrastructure, sea wire, placed by Texas along the border. Our posture remains the same. So there were people on TV saying if this is true, this is like an insurrection. I, I, I think that's absurd. But if you have federal government officials that aren't listening to the, quote, orders of the Biden administration and saying we're not going to do this, what does that mean? Well, look, and mind you, the same people who are saying this are the Democrats, elected Democrats and the lefties in the press who praised, for example, people in the military under Trump who they said, well, they won't follow his orders. They will resist his orders. 
mind you, in this instance, look, I know the Border Patrol agents, many of them very, very well. I spent a lot of time with them. They are horrified at what Joe Biden is doing. They're watching the body bags, the death, the suffering, the children who were assaulted, the women who were raped. They're seeing it on a daily basis. And, and, and it is, look, at some level, if you have a president who is so utterly out of touch that he wages war, on the law, that he, he's defying the law, that he is instructing him, go destroy, go, use my example, go bomb, go bomb the walls. Yeah. You would expect some federal officials to say, hold on, you have no legal authority to do this. This is just an abuse of power. And, and look, our system, we are pushing to the edges of a constitutional crisis because we have a president so, who is so utterly lawless that he puts his partisan political agenda above the rule of law, above federal immigration law, above the Constitution, above people's welfare, above protecting the lives of Texans. And it is all politics all the time with the Biden White House. I, I got to ask you, you just said something that was very interesting, and that was about a constitutional crisis. Texas isn't having to do this alone. Thank goodness. You've got, I think it's 25 different states now that have come to the aid of Texas fighting for states' rights, saying you have a right to defend your state. And it is powerful. Governor after governor after governor saying, we stand with Texas, we stand with Texas, we stand with Texas. And Joe Biden is trying to say to the states, I don't care. I want your state to be invaded. I want the law to be ignored because my partisan politics matter more than your obligation to protect the safety of your citizens. So explain the the rules. And this is, I think, a very important point because it's going to come up. Obviously, you have some states are sending, for example, state troopers to the state. Who is that under state authority? Is that federal if you're clashing? Right. If you're trooper, And then and then the second part is the National Guard can work in two different scenarios, one for the governor, and then all of a sudden the federal government can come in. And that's been a big fight over the last yep. several days of what if he nationalizes the federal, you know, the, 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 these guardsmen. How does that play out? And explain how it works if there's two different people that are your boss. Who do you decide with? So ordinarily, the National Guard is under the direction of the governors. And the National Guard of each state is under yes. that, that yes. governor of that state. Now, under federal law, the president has the authority to call up to nationalize the National Guard and put it under the direction of of the federal government. And a bunch of folks on the left are demanding that that Biden do that in Texas. I don't think he will. That the, the clip we played of Greg Abbott, what he was responding to was the claim, what happens if he tries to nationalize the Guard? I don't think Biden will do that because it has a risk of backfiring. Um. If he did, I'm not sure what will happen. But what he cannot nationalize is DPS troopers. He cannot nationalize the state law enforcement. And so even the example is Florida sent a lot of of state troopers to Texas this past week. There was a caravan coming up. He could have no control over them. None whatsoever. The, The federal government does not have the ability to nationalize state law enforcement. So conceivably Biden could try to nationalize the National Guard. And at that point, assuming the Guard complies with those orders uh, and they're not challenged in court, they're not struck down, assuming the Guard complies with those orders, it's no different than Biden sending in the army. It, it is federal military, but there are still state officials and the potential for clashes. Now, do I think you're going to see state and federal officials shooting at each other? No. Uh, I do think Look, you've got crazies on the left that are pushing, you know, might you see Biden try to order 
order federal officials to arrest state officials. Yeah. I think that's possible. And we are starting to get into very uncharted territory. Who could he arrest in that scenario? Is that the governor on down, the governor, the attorney general? Are you talking about like a guy at the border who's saying, I'm not going to take down that razor wire? And they say, "Okay, arrest him or who's laying razor wire, for example. And I don't think that's going to happen. But Joe Biden is listening to the radicals, the extreme in his party, and he keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. And it's dangerous, just like Joe Biden is endangering American lives abroad. And we saw three servicemen and women murdered this weekend by Iranian proxies because of Joe Biden's lawlessness at the and, and support of genocidal killers. At the same time, Joe Biden is endangering Americans here because of his lawlessness and support for homicidal killers that are human traffickers and drug traffickers. In both instances, it is because this Biden White House puts politics above the safety and security of Americans. And the question every Democrat is going to have to answer, every Democrat senator, every Democrat House member. Do you stand with the lawlessness and the extreme agenda of the Biden White House or do you stand with the safety of the American people? And at least to date, just about every elected Democrat in the country puts politics above safety. And that's what makes where we are right now so extreme and so dangerous. You just said two words, so extreme and so dangerous. I do want to remind people, wasn't this administration that said that the adults are finally back in charge so we will have none of these issues I just want to remind everybody, this is what they said about their own team. As any um, connection to reality about what is going on around them should have watched that and said, the adults are back in the room. It, it seems as though we have a, uh, a professional adult once again in the White House who's just simply doing the work. Really, the, the theme, I would say, is the adults are back. Still, it is a relief to have adults in charge. Now we have adults in the White House. Okay, the adults are back in the room. Um, There is a sense, I think, the world over that the adults have returned. We have an adult in the White House now, and it's glorious. If this is what adulting looks like, I'll take a kid in charge at this point. God bless. So so, so we actually, and the irony is every word of that is a lie. Well, look, Joe Biden is a senior citizen, and, and he may be so adult that he's not aware of what's happening. But I'll tell you, the agenda has been extreme and dangerous and you look at things like the withdrawal from afghanistan incompetent naive ideological um it is the opposite of adult leadership adult leadership focuses on let's follow the law adult leadership focuses on we've got a task to do adult leadership focuses on let's keep people safe adult leadership focuses on what's an american interest adult leadership focuses on how do we stop bad guys from hurting us Everything Joe Biden and the Democrats have done is the opposite of adult leadership. It is naive. It is dangerous. It is extreme. And the country is a lot less safe as a result. Now, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, you can go back and listen to the full podcast from earlier this week. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Now on to story number two. I want to move also to another important issue, and and this is one that's starting to pick up some steam here. It deals with liquid natural gas and these ports uh, that that have basically been stopped out of nowhere. And the alibi for the Biden White House is we met, shocking enough, with a 25-year-old TikToker that really explained to us the environmental problems. So we're going to study uh, the environmental problems with, with, with liquefied natural gas. And, and it may take over a year. It will certainly be after the election. Uh, if we were to turn these back on, it's going to have a massive impact on Texas. But the timing of it, Senator, is the part that's so suspect. It was right after Texas and the Supreme Court ruling came down that said that, hey, the federal government can get through your razor wire. The ruling also, as we talked about extensively on the show, it didn't say you had to stop putting down razor wire, and it didn't say to Texas you have to pick it up. And it was almost like the, the, the White House said, okay, well, if you're going to mess with us, and then 25 other governors got involved and said, hey, we're going to send troopers, uh, state troopers and our, our, our guardsmen, national guardsmen, to help in Texas – was it a shot across about Texas with this out of nowhere plan of theirs that was like, hey, we're basically going to put sanctions on you guys because you need to get in line and any other state that's helping you, you could be next. Yes, yes, and yes. So what happened was last week, the Biden administration announced that it was halting new permits for the export of liquid natural gas and for export terminal projects to export liquid natural gas. Now, what does that mean? It means three things. Number one, what Joe Biden did is effectively sanction the state of Texas. This is declaring war on Texas. And I think you're exactly right. He did it because he's pissed off that Texas is standing up to, to the Biden administration on the border, is fighting to secure the border. And he said, all right, if you're going to stand up and fight us, we're going to attack you and try to destroy jobs in the state of Texas. This was very deliberate, a sanction on the great state of Texas. Number two, This is a fine on American families. Joe Biden said, hardworking families, I don't care about Americans. I'm going to punish you by driving up energy costs. 
And number three, this announcement is a subsidy for Vladimir Putin. Understand, this announcement is Joe Biden saying, I am going to give billions of dollars to Putin in Russia. Why? Because, look, our allies, Europe, Asia, they need natural gas. Natural gas, it's produced in a gaseous form, uh, and, and then it's liquefied to be transported typically on ships. Natural gas is incredibly important for heating, for power, for, for, for all of the world. And Europe imports a ton of natural gas. Asia imports a ton of natural gas. The largest producer of natural gas in the world is the United States of America. Now, Russia is a massive producer of natural gas as well. When Joe Biden says we're going to halt new export terminals for natural gas, he is handing a gift to Vladimir Putin because the Europeans are not going to suddenly not heat their homes. They're not going to say, "Okay, we're going to freeze to death because Joe Biden's mad. No, they're going to get the gas somewhere. And if they don't get it from the U.S., they're much, much more likely to get it from Russia. So this is a gift to Russia. And here's the final amazing thing. You know what this decision also does? What is that? Hurts the environment. Explain it. Explain it, because this is the this is the ammo that everybody listening needs. It it is critically important. And I'll say twofold. Number one, U.S. natural gas is produced much, much more cleanly than natural gas virtually anywhere else on Earth. Much, much more cleanly than Russian natural gas. So if you want less pollution in the air, if you want less carbon in the air, you want to consume U.S. natural gas because we have significant environmental protections on how we produce it here. There they don't. So what Joe Biden is saying is, hey, let's rely more on the Russians. Let's have them produce more gas. Let's have them pollute the environment even more. And by the way, if you notice the atmosphere, it doesn't stop at a country's border. Like the atmosphere goes all around the planet. So do you know who the biggest polluter on the face of the planet is? I'm going to go with either China or Russia. That's my best guess when it comes to this. China by a huge order of magnitude. China is massively the biggest polluter on the face of the planet. China is also building more coal plants right now than the United States has in the entirety of our country. They're building new coal plants that exceed the total coal plants in America. Now, why does that matter? If you care about the environment, if you care about pollution, if you care about carbon, which country year after year after year has led the world in in reduction of carbon emissions? America. Why? Because, well, I think, one, we have tons of regulation. Two, we actually care about the environment. Um, Both true, but that's not neither of those are why. What is it then? The biggest reason is the wide scale substitution of natural gas for coal and electricity production. So you want to talk about what really pollutes the hell out of the environment. It's burning coal in power plants to to turn on electricity. You know, it's it, it's interesting. A lot of liberals, they think, you know, they think, oh, I've got an electric car. I've got I've got a fancy electric car. Isn't that great? And it never occurs to them. Where does that electricity come from? Well, like, well, it comes from the wall. I plug it in and it just magically spews from the wall. Yeah. Well, well, no. That electricity has to be generated, has to be generated in a power plant. Now, how is it generated? For years, the predominant method of generating electricity was burning coal. 
The United States has a ton of coal. We're, we're, we're essentially the Saudi Arabia of coal. The problem is when you burn coal, it pollutes a lot and it emits a ton of carbon. Now, what we have seen in the last decade because of the shale revolution. So the shale revolution, shale, and it's also the fracking revolution. We have unlocked massive reserves of natural gas. And what that has done in the United States is we have seen tons of coal electricity plants shutting down and being replaced with natural gas electricity plants. Why does that matter? Because a natural gas electricity plant emits much, much, much less pollution than a coal plant, and it emits much, much, much less carbon than a coal plant. And that is why America leads the world in carbon reductions. At the same time we're doing this, China is building coal plants like crazy. And so when when Joe Biden steps in and says, we want to stop America from selling natural gas to the world, he is A, saying, buy your natural gas from Russia, from Iran, from Venezuela, from enemies of America run by dictators who are very dangerous, number one. But number two, he's also saying, produce your electricity from coal which pollutes the environment much much more understand if all you cared about was the environment joe biden's announcement this past week was horrible for the environment and he did it i think you're exactly right as a petulant attack on texas he's mad that texas is fighting to secure the border and he said all right i'm going to destroy jobs in the great state of texas Last question on this, and I think it's interesting to see that this could backfire in a big way. The Washington Post, the liberal, hardcore socialist Washington Post, put out an opinion piece by the editorial board saying Biden's, this is their headline, Biden's liquid natural, natural gas decision is a win for political symbolism, not the climate. They're even calling him out for this was petty and obviously a decision made to hurt Texas and and, and it can cost 70,000 Americans their jobs and doing it for these other reasons. And by the way, saying it's not about the climate. No, that's exactly right. Here's what the Washington Post editorial board said, quote, on Friday, however, that same Biden administration ordered a de facto halt to the approval of new facilities for exporting the resources to countries with which the United States does not have free trade agreements, a category that includes all of Europe. So, by the way, this is also a sanction on Europe. It's an election year sop to climate activists that will do much more to unsettle vital U.S. alliances than to save the planet. That's a quote from the Washington Post. That's how far out of the bounds of reasonableness when you're too left-wing for the Washington Post, well, that's got to be the Biden administration. As before, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation on this topic, you can go back and download the podcast from earlier this week to hear the entire thing. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I want to get back to the big story number three of the week you may have missed. Senator, you and I have talked so much about what is happening in Israel. And look, there's a lot of other issues that obviously are happening in the news, other things that are happening uh, in, in this administration and policies in Iran. But I do want to pause, and you and I talked about this, and go back. Joining us now is a guest. Yael Eckstein is the president and the CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, doing amazing work on the ground, uh, especially with those who were affected by the horrific attacks in Israel. First of all, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it and, uh, and the work you're doing. You're in Israel right now. Correct. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Yeah, welcome. We're, we're very glad to have you on Verdict. And uh, t- tell us, where in Israel are, are we talking to you? So I'm in central northern Israel, where we've had a few rockets from uh, Hamas uh, come in. I've been in the bomb shelter both with my children and also with different senators from America, Governor Huckabee. I was in the bomb shelter with him in Tel Aviv. And the biggest threat right now in northern Israel is actually Hezbollah, which would sure. make the war like Hamas, with Hamas feel like uh, like something small. So here in northern Israel, we're very on edge that a huge, bigger war with Hezbollah would break out, which would see around 150,000 rockets on tiny Israel. Tell us, what is what is the spirit, what is the morale that people are feeling in Israel with, with obviously, in the wake of October 7th and the horrors that unfolded then, and, and now several months of, of, of active warfare? How, how are people doing on the ground in Israel? Israel is resilient. Israel has always been resilient. We've never lost sight that since 1948 we've been in a fight for our survival, and there's no other country to go to 
There are 22 Arab states with a population of 440 million uh, people living there. And there's one Jewish state with a population around 7.5 million Jews. So no one in Israel has lost sight of that. And we are all unified and resilient and finding moments of hope and uh, uh, moments of moments of peace and comfort as well, that we're together and that God is with us and that we see how there are hundreds of millions of mostly Christian friends around the world who are standing with us as well. I just saw an estimate that there's around 700 million Christians around the world who are praying for Israel. So I think what's in a way most difficult for Israel right now and the people is to see how anti-Semitism is rising again, to see how once again the world is uh, questioning if the Jewish people should have a right to exist, being okay with Israel and the Jewish people's annihilation. So I want to start off by saying thank you to you in a world that is lacking such moral clarity. You, since October 7th and before, have been providing such a moral compass to all of your listeners, all of your followers, which especially they so unique and sacred and what everyone here in Israel is just uh, appreciative for. Well, Yael, thank you. I, I will tell you we are proud to stand with the people of Israel. Uh, October 7th made clear to the world, to anyone paying attention, that this is a battle between civilization and barbarism. And, and this is Israel standing against the face of evil. And, and I'll tell you, Heidi and I, our family, we are praying for the people of Israel. The people of America stand with you. And, and as horrific as what happened on October 7th was, I believe there are at least two good things that will come of this. Number one, Israel's stated commitment to utterly eliminate Hamas. If and when that happens, and I think we've made real and meaningful progress towards that, that is a very, very good thing for Israel. That is a very, very good thing for America, because Hamas hates Israel and hates America, and they want to murder us both. And secondly, you, you, you referenced anti-Semitism. I, I think one of the things October 7th did is it laid bare and exposed the vicious anti-Semitism we see globally, but tragically, especially in U.S. universities. And, and listen, I believe that anti-Semitism was there on October 6th. I don't think that was newly created. But what happened on October 7th exposed it. And I think shining a sun, sunlight on it is a key step to eliminating it. And, and, and so know, know that despite the viciousness you're seeing, that millions and millions of Americans and people across the world stand with the people of Israel. It's incredible. It's so inspiring. I, I read the words of Isaiah 5, for example, and it says in the last of days, good will be called evil and evil will be called good. And I see how in the beginning of the war, uh, on October 8th, people were debating if Hamas beheaded babies or just peacefully burned them alive. And then it took less than one minute to spread the lie that Israel bombed the hospital, which ended up in the Hamas rocket. But there is so much hatred towards the Jewish people. There's so much anti-Semitism. But what I see, Senator Cruz, is exactly what you're saying, that this isn't 1938. Today, it's a different reality because we have the state of Israel, which is able to protect the Jewish people, and we have millions of Christians around the world who stand with us. And that's exactly the message of the fellowship. You know, we've all learned about the righteous Gentiles during the Holocaust. We've learned about the Corey Ten Boons and Oscar Schindlers. And there's even a forest in Jerusalem that's planted outside of Yad Vashem for the righteous Gentiles. 
And what I see today is if we had to plant a tree for every righteous Gentile who's standing with Israel, cover an entire continent with trees. And so what I represent on the ground here in Israel is millions of Christians who are feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, who are not political at all, but are standing with the biblical words of the Bible, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, by bringing food to Holocaust survivors in their bomb shelters and providing bulletproof ambulances. And, and that is the difference today between 2024 and 1938, and it's significant. Well, you know, a- I want to a- ask a- you. Amen. Uh, I, I, amen. Absolutely. I want to ask you and, and inform the, the verdict listeners because there's so many listeners of the show that ask Senator Cruz when he's traveling and, and myself, they ask the same question. What can we do to get involved? Talk a little bit about what the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews does. The mission you mentioned, and this is something that I learned from you uh, when we got to, to, to sit down and break bread is that there are these, for example, the ambulances that they need, not just ambulances, but bulletproof ambulances. And these are some of the resources that you guys are helping with those on the ground that desperately need these life-saving, not just care, but also the meals and everything else. Thank you so much. So the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is the largest philanthropic organization in Israel, and we represent the Christian community on the ground in the Holy Land. Um, We have three different areas that we focus on. One is Aliyah, bringing Jews from at-risk countries home to Israel and the vision of the Bible, and that's actually continued since October 7th. Almost every day we've had people landing in Israel from Ukraine, from the Arab world, different places where they're persecuted. The second is focusing on poverty and welfare, where we provide food and meals and all the basic needs to, to people who are who are hungry and uh, hurting. And the third is security. And so on October 7th, we were already prepared on the ground. We already provided over 5,500 bomb shelters on the ground in Israel. We already distributed wow. bulletproof vests. We already distributed bulletproof ambulances. We already in Barzilai Hospital, which got four direct rocket attacks. We already protected their labor and delivery and NICU unit that's completely uh, fortified so that they were protected. And so October 7th, we were already we were already mobilized. We already had the connections with all of the security officials, with all of the welfare officials. And what happened on October 7th was that suddenly the people who are normally there to provide aid became the victims. We had a head of social work, a head social worker in Southern Israel who was kidnapped. We were calling her to say, what do you need? How can we help? She was in Gaza. She was kidnapped by the Hamas terrorists. We had heads of cities who their children were murdered. And so the fellowship moved in on October 7th to say until the local and national government is able to get together to care for the citizens, we're here. We're on the ground in Sterot as there were terrorists roaming, going shelter to shelter, bringing food. As the first responders were going down south to fight the terrorists, the fellowship was there providing thousands of bulletproof helmets and, uh, and, and, and um, flat jackets. Because, simply put, Israel wasn't prepared for October 7th. It took us by surprise. And so the fact that the fellowship has been there on the ground providing security for over 15 years, we were able to mobilize on October 7th, and we haven't stopped since. (laughs) What are the needs right now for, for, for specifically people in the U.S. that do want to get involved and want to help, and how can they get involved and help? 
Well, one of the biggest needs right now is actually for food and basic needs for those who are evacuated. People who haven't had a business, people who haven't had jobs, many of them for over four months. We have reserve soldiers who were called up four months ago who have barely come home, who haven't been able to work. And those families, many of them were poor before October 7th. And so one of the biggest needs that we're seeing is really for the basics to bring food to the families whose husbands are in reserve duty who were poor before the war and now are desperate, to the evacuees, to the Holocaust survivors. I was in Sterot um, just a few, a week and a half ago. Sterot is a city on the border with Gaza that was evacuated uh, right after October 7th, almost four months ago. And there are 500 elderly, over 80 years old, who they said, we would rather stay here and die in our homes than live again as refugees. Most of them are Holocaust survivors. And so there's no grocery stores open. There's no infrastructure there. And so it's the fellowship who's there providing food to these elderly in the evacuated, war-torn city of Sterot. So right now, it's the basics, which means we're not looking for millions of dollars. We're not looking for huge donations. $25 provides a food box to one of those elderly in Sterot. It's incredible the work that you guys are doing. Where can people find out more specifically online? So online, you could go to our website, www.iscj.org, and get all the information there. And I'm very dedicated to showing on a day-to-day basis what the fellowship is doing. So you can follow me, Yael Eckstein, on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and get day-to-day real-time updates on donations are saving lives. Well, Yael, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for all that you're doing. And know that our prayers are with you. Our prayers are with the people of Israel, and truth will prevail. Israel will stand against the face of evil, and America stands. Amen. I can't tell you how comforting those words are and how much you put truth to action. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to Verdict with Senator Ted Cruz, Ben Ferguson with you. Don't forget to download my podcast and you can listen to my podcast every other day. You're not listening to Verdict or each day when you listen to Verdict afterwards. I'd love to have you as a listener to, again, the Ben Ferguson podcast. And we will see you back here on Monday morning. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts 
of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.